All right, folks. There we go. Now I can see comments. Okay, folks. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, you're watching the God Country Coffee Live video podcast for January 1st, 2021. Uh, my guest tonight is uh, Dave Doc Jocelyn. And as I always do, hello, coffee lovers. This is Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Feliz Año Nuevo y Prospero Año Nuevo y que Dios te bendiga. Uh, for those of you who don't understand that or didn't know ever that I spoke Spanish, that means Happy New Year's to everyone. And uh, God bless you. And I hope you have a prosperous new year. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring Doc on now, and then we'll we'll uh, light the fires on this popsicle stand. All right, Doc. Hey. You good? Yeah. Evening. Great. Uh, anybody who's watching, please do me a favor and uh, just put something in the comments as far as our volumes go, because we both have the ability to adjust them. Um, and so as tradition is for New Year's, we've got some uh, black IPs here that Mama made. They're really good, but I've eaten enough today. It's just symbolic about what I'm going to talk about. Excuse me for a second. I got to wash that down with some third day coffee. Revelation, by the way, is what I'm drinking tonight. Doc, I don't think I sent you the revelation, but I'll, I'm going to get you some out because uh it's literally all that I've touched uh, since I uh, since we came up with it and we finalized the recipe. Nice. It is literally the only coffee that I drink, uh, and it's it's a light roast blended coffee with robusta beans. Robusta have twice the amount of caffeine uh, as arabica beans, and uh, it's just it's just come out amazing. Um, anyway, so why do we black IPs for New Year's, right? Uh, everybody knows that that's a tradition. Well, what does the Bible tell us about, about this? There's something to learn about everything that we do. And this particular thing, Matthew 15 and 3 says, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Uh, I like that verse. Connie gave me that verse earlier. She actually gave me both of these because I was looking stuff up. Um, and then the other one is 1 Timothy 4 and 7. Uh, which says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And as I always do at the onset of my show is I always give glory to God. I thank God for everything that he's done, not just in our lives or in our marriage, uh, but in the business that we started last year or 2019 now, almost two years. Uh, just amazing growth, amazing people that he's brought into our life uh, that we've been able to explode our business. Uh, I really feel like 2021 is going to be the year that we, that we really make our mark uh, uh, locally and, and nationally. Hopefully uh, right now I've got coffee out to, I think 36 or 37 different States. So we're really happy about that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I'm going to do a book drop real quick, just so everybody knows what I'm reading. Humble Alpha. That's the first one. I've been reading this. I'm really liking it. Uh, that came highly recommended. This one's kind of hard to see because I'm using a green screen and the letters are green, but it's uh, Gary V. Crush It. That's a good business book. Uh, if you haven't been 10X yet, 
you need to TEDx yourself. That's another good uh, book by uh, Grant Cardone. And then uh, last uh, two weeks, two episodes ago, when on Bullets to Beans, Doc had uh, his guest was a uh, was Father. What was his name? Stephen Rendall. Stephen Rendall. And he talked in his podcast about uh, this book that he read. It was really good. And it's, and it's kind of hard to see again because of the screen screen, but it's how God changes your brain. And it's written by a, uh, a neuroscientist, a, the leading neuroscientist, along with another gentleman. And I've just started this and it's got me like sucked in. So it's really interesting. I'm excited about getting through that book. Um, other than that, I'm going to shout out to my brother, Scott Riley, uh, with the uh, 10th Coastal Ravine Squadron. Uh, he got back a couple of months ago from deployment, and I'm, I'm he's back to work now, uh, and things have normalized for him. Uh, I was worried about him for a little bit, but he's he's doing awesome, uh, and I'm planning a visit uh, here pretty soon in March. And and so uh, to all the, the 10th uh, Coastal Ravine Squadron, God bless you guys for doing your your duty and suffering through what you all had to go through after you got there. And, and, you know, they kept saying, you're going to come home. Oh, wait, no, you're not. Oh, wait, maybe you will. And so I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, my guest tonight again is Dave Doc Jocelyn. Uh, he was, uh, he retired in January, 2013, the Sergeant first class. Uh, he had deployments to Iraq in April of 03 and July 04 and Afghanistan in July 08 and July uh, 09. Uh, he's currently employed by Pacific Northwest Area Operations Director of Alliance Healthcare Services, um, and he is the host of Bullets to Beans podcast, uh, which is how I got to know Doc uh, a little bit. That we and we've actually never met, but uh, we've gone back and forth. Uh, I listened to one of his podcasts, and I got sucked in. I listened to the rest of them that he had, and then and then I sent him some coffee. And, uh, and he was gracious enough to plug our coffee for us. And, um, and so that's where we're at. And so doc, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give you here an opportunity just to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, and then I want to do one other thing and then we'll get into whatever it is we're going to talk about tonight. No, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I, it, anytime veterans can cross pollinate and help each other grow, uh, as individuals and as business leaders, uh, that's something that we should be doing. Um, I think you kind of hit the highlights. A uh, couple of deployments, Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I currently still work in the healthcare space, uh, but not doing anything as exciting as uh, what I used to do. So <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of profit and loss statements right now, a lot of income statement and a financial analysis, but um, I've been blessed with a good job. Um, COVID was a time of growth. The as I'm, as I'm building episode 30 for my show that you've mentioned, um, it's one of the things that I'm looking at is not looking at 2020 as that, that year of loss and that year of desperation. But I think everyone who's still kicking right now, 2020 was probably a year of growth and we need to highlight the growth that we, that we achieved and, uh, carry us into 2021. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know, uh, firsthand, um, my wife got laid off. Uh, she retired from the state after 30 years as an epidemiologist. And um, she um, went to work for an eye doctor. Uh, and she had my first guest, John Mitten, Pastor John Mitten. He was on my very first show. Uh, his wife is an eye doctor. And that she employed Connie for two years. And when COVID hit and they closed her down, 
or all the businesses down back in February, they laid her off and she was home for two weeks. And this is all a God thing. We had nothing to do with this. Some lady called her at nine o'clock on a Thursday night and said, listen, I know who you are. I know who you work for. Uh, and I'm with Comal County. We want you to come to work for us. Can you start on Monday? Wow. And she was like, uh, yeah. Right. And so she's been there ever since. But I know I've heard you before, like, okay, we're not going to do COVID, you know, uh, back and forth with it anymore. And uh, I just want to, I want to say that, uh, you know, people that want to pick on, or I don't say pick on, but people that want to discredit what's going on, you know, at first I, I, dec- I discredited the whole thing too. And I know you've had it. I know Connie, my wife has had COVID, yeah. lots of people have had it and and they and they've been fine afterwards um but you know she really it hit home the other day when when the numbers are right now are one in a thousand people you know one in ten thousand one in a hundred thousand doesn't scare me a whole lot and i always joke around about uh that in the military we get so many shots that they don't tell us what they are that we're probably immune. There's probably nothing that can survive in our bodies, but uh, obviously that's not true. Right. And, um, but uh, she works really hard and, you know, people that she calls sometimes with a positive report, they like cuss her out, you know, and she's, and, and so uh, I really want to plug my wife. She's, she's, her superpower is epidemiology. It's hard to read that with the, uh, with the green screen. <laughs> That's my wife's superpower, and she is a she is a super super individual. Uh, hello, Richard. Hello, David and uh, Ginger, uh, Joe Palacios. Everybody that's watching, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, so, that being said, uh, COVID is not going to go away. Obviously, we're going to keep seeing stuff, uh, you know. And I know that I don't know what else there is to be said about that. Really, she fights this thing daily. Yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't bother me until until I saw the numbers the other day and it was one in a thousand. And I'm like, one in a thousand, you know, that's pretty close to home. There's only 30,000 people in my town. Uh, yeah. I, you know, and I, I, and in my show, and I know you've listened to all the episodes, um, you know, I try to maintain a consistent presence uh, in dialogue behind COVID. It's a, it's a serious disease. It, it warrants a serious, but appropriate amount of attention. Um you know, I've, my whole family had it. Um, I've, you know, for me, it was, uh, an annoying cold with a fever and a loss of sense of smell. And, you know, it was, didn't last that long. I had a couple of friends that were in the ICU for a week or so. I had one of my own team members, one of my employees, uh, was in the ICU for better part of two weeks. Um, you know, but, you know, and I got to appreciate the work that folks like your wife do in, in, pandemic response and, and pandemic surveillance and understanding, you know, when you, if you start comparing this to other diseases, you know, understandably one in a thousand would be concerning, but I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised when it gets to one in a hundred. When you think of influenza, how many people have had influenza? You know, we've all, right. and influenza kills hundreds of thousands of people a year across the globe. Um, you know, uh, it's, We've got the vaccines that are available now that are out in first generation distribution. Um, I think over time, uh, as we understand the disease a little bit more, and it's mutating. Um, yeah, there's a new strain found in the uh, United Kingdom 
last week, Dr. Fauci put out something uh, just a couple of days ago about a uh, another strain uh, that's potentially mutating that might be more infectious, but the report that I read didn't say anything about more lethal, um, right? Uh, so you look at you know coronavirus diseases um, across the spectrum, the common colds of coronavirus, you know, that's uh, what's the disease incident rate for common cold? Probably one to one. Everyone's had a cold. Um, mm. It's just, you know, we're less than a year into this. We're about a year into, you know, this worldwide surveillance of this disease. It's still a relatively young disease. Um, and as we get smarter about it and we start understanding it a little bit more, uh, it'll probably uh, just wrap up into the normal fold of life, like cold, influenza, strep throat. You know, I've talked about that on my show a couple of times when I addressed COVID. I had strep throat twice. It damn near, I felt like I was about to die on that. Fevers of 105, uh, you know, having to actually seek medical treatment. Um, and it just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they're going to yeah. affect certain people in different ways. There's a physician that I talk with at uh, one of the the few breweries that stayed open during our lockdown because they put fire pits out front. Um, and that's about the most uh, Alaskan thing you can do in the middle of, you know, single digit degrees and a pandemic lockdown is still go stand in front of a fire pit and drink beer with each other. You know, um, we're finding out it's more, uh, it's less of a respiratory disease now than what we originally believed. It was a complete respiratory threat. Um, it's turning into a capillary and peripheral, uh, vascular problem. Uh, you're, you're starting to see, uh, ischemic attacks and other things, uh, with it. So, but yeah, enough COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you and I, I really enjoyed some of the stuff that you mentioned, you know, in, in some of your podcasts about it, but yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> a little bit about our, you know, our company, I know you've, uh, followed us a little bit and, and our, our main, a lot of big stuff is happening, uh, right now with us. We, um, we just set up a pad on our property, uh, big enough for two shipping containers, two 20 foot shipping containers. And they were supposed to come in yesterday, but, uh, they sent me pictures and they were horrible, horrible ratted out. But, uh, the guy that I was uh, working with, he was, it was good enough to say, "Hey, man, I, I wouldn't take these for myself, much less sell them to you." So we're, we're that's all on pause. I've got lights and I got all kinds of other stuff in my office right now that you can't. That's why there's a green screen because there's boxes wall to wall and coffee and everything else. But uh, we're excited. We're going to move into these shipping containers here in the next month or so, uh, and we're going to have a, a a regular place to go do business, you know, and the coffee. I mean, I've got a, a bunch of guys that we're working with right now to do white label. Uh, for their particular co companies. And so I'm looking really excited about that. I'm going to show share my screen for a second because I wanted to share these pictures originally. Uh, but I, I tend to, I, because I don't, um, uh, because I don't script, I kind of tend to mess things up sometimes. And, uh, but that's okay. I mean, you know, I like it to be, uh, to be real. And uh, let's see, application window, Chrome tab. No, that's not it. Where did it go? Okay, right there. And so let's see, we're going to share that one. And uh, where did my, where did my dog tags go? I see a picture of a dog tag on a screen. 
Yes, there is a picture of a dog tag on the screen. And so this is, uh, you can see I'm holding up. This is my daddy's dog tag. Daddy was in the, was in the Air Force. He was a uh, counterintelligence uh, from 1959 to, um, I mean, 1955 to 1959. And for those in the intelligence field that, that don't know any better, that's back before there was technology. And so uh, there wasn't any sitting at a terminal all day, you know, doing stuff. Uh, they actually went out in the field and, and took uh, what they needed uh, in any which way form that they could. And so several years ago, a buddy of mine who's closer to my age, late in his career, uh, got deployed. And so this first picture is uh, this dog tag uh, on the back of a aircraft uh, on mission uh, over in a sandbox somewhere. And so uh, let's see how I, oh, I got to do it from over here. I think. Yes. Okay, I need to hide that. And then this next picture, this is my brother who just got back. Uh, he is my he is my military brother. He is not my uh, maternal or paternal brother, but uh, same blood runs in our veins. I love this guy, Scott Riley with the 10th Coastal Ravine. Uh, and he's got daddy's dog tag uh, in Africa right there, hanging on his chest. Um, and then I love this one, tag sitting on the 50. Just absolutely love it. And, uh, and then... Uh, this is a little plug for the coffee company, right? Third Day Coffee. Uh, you know, I always say that Third Day Coffee, it's good enough for the office and it's or good enough for downrange and safe for work. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, and then this is a picture here of five or six gunboats protecting their one bag of Third Day Coffee. Yes, I Photoshopped that in there. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a cool picture to begin with and I, I had to put the coffee in there somewhere. Uh, this is one of the greatest days of my life. I had this is a for those of you who are unfamiliar with baptism, is um, it's an uh, outward expression of an internal decision. I had already made the decision to serve the Lord of Lords, Christ Jesus, and this is an outward expression of so, as the Bible tells us. And then this is when my son surrendered his life, and I had the supreme honor of baptizing my son in the Walupa River here in Seguin. And then this is all I have to say about 2020. 2021, if you act like 2020, this is what's going to happen to you. So that's where I'm at with, with that. Anyway, I was going to do that earlier, but like I said, I don't script it. And so I always end up, end up goofing it up, but that's, that's all good stuff. So, all right. So enough of all that stuff. Uh, Third Day Coffee is in business for one reason. And yes, we are in business uh, we do want to be profitable. We have to be profitable in order to do the things that we want to do. Um, right now, every bag of Isaiah that we sell, $1 goes to LF Missions, Inc., which is a, which is my coffee supplier. They own a farm in Honduras and Sierra Bueno, Honduras. And uh, they are literally the hands and feet of Jesus down there lifting these people up that have nothing. They don't even have sanitation. And so uh, with Ashley's nonprofit, that's Ashley Williams with Legacy Farms Coffee. Uh, you can find them on my website and everything. We, we reference them all the time. Um, they, um, they're doing great mission work down there. We also give a dollar to a group called uh, Combat Marine Outdoors. 
and they take uh, our combat veterans who come back uh, with all kinds of injuries, everything from traumatic brain, PTSD, to missing limbs, uh, and they take them hunting and fishing all over the world. And so a dollar from uh, also goes to them for each of our bags. So that's kind of lead, lead us into our real conversation here. What we want to do is we want to be profitable enough, make enough money to be able to do mission work in our local community. And when I say that, my priority is veterans. Um, and I, I, I have been around a lot of disabled veterans, a lot of guys that have come off the battlefield uh, for years. We, uh, I worked for, a, a, I didn't work, but I was part of an organization that brought out combat veterans uh, that were stationed at Fort Sam at the hospital from Fisher House and Prowess House. And we would take them out to a facility, a privately owned place, and just kind of get them away from the hospital, get them away from prying eyes and away from cameras and people trying to exploit that and just give them a, a, some time to, to decompress out in the country. Uh, we had a, we had some access to river and, and we had a nice facility. And so we were able to take them out and, and let them decompress a little bit. And I know that, um, that that helped a lot because some of the feedback we got from even the wives were like, this is the best I've seen my husband since before he left. And so, or since he left rather, you know, and these are people that got injured obviously when they were overseas. And so that was a huge compliment. We knew that we were onto something. Uh, and even though I've left that organization, that's still my mission. I still feel like we need to help, you know, cause I've, Myself, personally, I, I never saw combat, never saw anything dicey. I mean, we chased a few Russian subs, but I was, I'm old. I was, you know, I got out of the service in 95. And so, you know, that was Cold War. And so every now and then we get up close to Alaska and we, we'd find a Russian sub and, and we would, you know, we'd play cat and mouse for a little while, but that was it. Um, so I didn't understand any, any of the needs of our, of our service members until, you know, after this war started. Um, and after 9-11, then I really, you know, when we got involved in 06, uh, getting some troops and taking them away from the, from the hospital for a day, we started to understand what the need was. Uh, and so that's what our mission is. We're, we want to be able to sell enough coffee uh, to help our brothers and sisters who need help out. And, and it doesn't have, I, I prefer there to start with military, but uh, anybody in the community who is suffering in a way that, uh, that they feel like there's no hope. Uh, there is hope and, and it doesn't always come in a pill. And so that's something that I'd really like for you to, to just talk about, to elaborate on. I know in our conversations, you've talked about your experience with all that and just share whatever you like and, and, and go down that, go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Um, as folks can see scrolling on the, uh, the little highlight reel there, the www.remedyalpine.org. Uh, that's a foundation that I started with a couple of friends uh, almost four years ago now. Um, and to your exact point, um, it's about getting veterans into natural spaces and using nature as a healing modality uh, and a therapeutic modality for uh, visible and non-visible wounds. Um, we have the luxury of the largest playground uh, in the United States. I know I know you're from Texas, but you're the second largest state. Um, you know, I couldn't help it. Being <laughs> from Alaska. Um, yeah, we've got three different mountain ranges within a half hour. Um, and what we do is we take veterans, uh, whether they're combat veterans or non-combat veterans, if they serve their country honorably 
there had to have been, we recognize that there's stresses on people, whether they face the enemy or not. Um, and so, uh, we do single day hikes, uh, multi-day hikes and, uh, multi-day, multi-night, uh, treks through the mountains up in Alaska, um, as a, as a, a way to, uh, provide some, some healing, uh, away from society. Uh, cell phones don't ring. Um, your wives and your children aren't there. Your husbands and your children aren't there. Um, it just gives a chance to break down isolation, uh, and using, uh, not just nature, but camaraderie, uh, is kind of a, a sub modality, uh, just to give people a, a, a chance to understand they're not alone in their fight. Uh, the things that they might be seeing, hearing inside their head, feeling uh, the emotional roller coaster that they're going through. Uh, someone else is probably on that same roller coaster. Um, so those are the things that we do to uh, it, it remedy Alpine. Uh, this year, um, I'm actually taking a step back. I'm still the 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 main equity holder in the company, uh, but uh, I took a step back um, for 2021. Our our operations officer, uh, Luke Bouchatz, um, who's an Army Ranger, um, he's taken over the reins uh, and is going to be the CEO. Uh, that way, I can focus on uh, developing some other projects that I'm working on. Uh, one of which being my podcast, Bullets to Beans. Um, Doc, let me interrupt you for a second. Can you still hear me? I can hear you, but I got your logo up. Yeah, I'm, going with I, it. I'm working on my video. I lost video or something, but just, just uh, you're, you're good to go. I just wanted to make sure that you could still hear, and I can yeah. hear you. We can hear you, so just keep going with this. Well, I'll figure the tech out here shortly. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, so, I mean, that's that. That's essentially, uh, you know, Remedy Alpine in a 30-second commercial there. Um, uh, the founders, uh, myself, Eric Collier, who's an Air Force COD guy, and then Luke Bouchas, like I said, an Army Ranger. We brought Luke on uh, six months after we started. So uh, there's essentially three founding partners. Um, and then Bullets to Beans, uh, my, my passion project that I'm focusing on completely for 2021, although I'll still be involved tangibly on the side in Remedy Alpine, uh, I'm trying to to grow the Bullets to Beans show, uh, and I've got a couple other shows uh, in the virtual space that uh, that I'm working on as well. Bullets to Beans actually started as a um, every other week social gathering uh, at a coffee house, uh, one of the coffee houses here in Eagle River, Alaska. We would get together uh, and just again provide an opportunity for camaraderie. Um, it, and for people that don't have experience on a mountain that might wanted to feel the guide team out a little bit, uh, to develop a little bit of relationship and trust before they, uh, were comfortable going out on the mountain with us, uh, it, that gave them that opportunity to, in a, in a controlled environment. Uh, and then using coffee, uh, is a, is another, uh, therapeutic modality. Um, in November of last year, uh, Remedy Alpine, we took a team to uh, the Nature's Grace Conference at University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and that was a uh, specifically a veterans recreational therapy and therapeutic recreation uh, 
conference. Um, couple things came out of that. Uh, one, we realized we had kind of a quasi-national following. Um, folks from Sierra Club, veterans and military programs and other uh, smaller programs across the United States uh, had heard about us. They'd seen us on social media. Uh, and so, you know, we walked in there uh, and folks from other parts of the United States had heard about our programs and were very supportive of the work that we were doing. So when we walked out of uh, that three-day conference, uh, that's when the idea for a podcast got put in my head is, okay, we have, uh, I saw it as almost a responsibility uh, to engage the veterans in a virtual space. Um, so I went into planning mode and uh, research, practice, rehearsal, whatever, uh, and I set a date on a calendar of uh, January 20th. Uh, I said, no matter what I do between now and January 20th, January 20th, I'm going to launch the first show. Um, and I did. Uh, and then uh, pretty good response early on. And then COVID hit. Uh, and then we had to shut down our, our literal programs, our physical programs. Uh, and then we were stuck in the virtual space because uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, like it hit every other industry, it, it hit recreational outdoor industries as well. Um, and so uh, really started focusing on growing uh, the virtual programming in the virtual space uh, in the podcast medium. Uh, and that's uh, kind of taken us to where we're at now. Um, the other the other two partners, Eric and uh, fully committed to uh, the physical programs um, as one of the founders. Uh, they gave me the, the opportunity to step away for two years uh, to develop uh, uh, the podcast, uh, and, uh, see what we can do with that in the virtual space. But I'm the, the link between remedy Alpine and bullets to beans. You hear remedy Alpine commercials on the show all the time. Uh, a lot of our filler, um, kind of content in the first been on remedy Alpine and, and let folks know about, uh, the programs and the opportunities through them. That, that's uh, okay. I'm still with you, man. I'm working through this tech here. It's beating me up a little bit, but uh, uh, let me let me see. There's hopefully this will this will get us back in business here. Had to reset. I've never had that happen before. Can you still hear me? I can hear you fine. It looks like your OBS didn't connect to your camera. Yeah, and I. I'm going to try to this one more time and hopefully this will, uh, there it is. Okay. There we go. You're back. <laughs> All right. So I can fix things on the fly. That's good. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I know that you and I have also talked about doing a round table, uh, because I really think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and I say us, there's a lot of service members um, who are suffering and they have issues that maybe they don't. I think my pastor, John, said, uh, I love the way he put it. He put it, the, the, the issue with some of our veterans today and some of our law enforcement, because he's a chaplain for the law enforcement also. Yep. He says is that these people are heroes. You're heroes. All of you who take a rifle or take a med kit into harm's way, save people, shoot back at people, get shot at, whether you want to admit it or not, you're heroes. And heroes sometimes have a hard time asking for help. 
And um, I don't well, know how you that. I'll agree with the fact that we have a hard time asking for help. Uh, the, the whole, the hero thing, you know, the, the way I look at it is a job. Um, there's, uh, there's some jobs that, that, that some people uh, give accolade to. There's some jobs that in my opinion are, are more important than anything that we do uh, that people uh, quite honestly don't give a sense of, of time to it. Like I always fall back. It won't pro- I fall back to, to teachers and educators because they're the ones that shape and develop young minds into either productive or non-productive people. Um, and I think it's in my head, I'm trying to give back and apologize for uh, as big of a crap head as I was when I was a kid in school, I did my teachers wrong. Um, but I mean, it's just kind of a, it's a job, uh, you know, uh, for me, it was the most rewarding thing that I could have ever done was to provide care frontline care to the warfighter. Um, you know, it was, it, it was exciting. It was, uh, it was adventurous. Uh, there were times where it was dangerous. Um, but in my opinion, I, I mean, I, I think that the, the being a combat medic was the best job the army could have ever given me. Uh, cause again, I got, I got to, I got to stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the bravest men and women that I would ever meet. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to take care of them. Uh, so I don't think that necessarily that's heroic. I just think it was a job that, you know, I, I don't consider myself a, this is cliche, I know, but, uh, I don't consider myself a hero, but I, I worked with a lot of them. Um, for me, it was just a job and I, I come from a military family. I, I was kind of raised, uh, to believe that, uh, my father was, uh, in the air force for almost 30 years. Uh, we're like the Lieutenant Dan family. You can, we've fought in every American conflict back to before America was a, a country. Um, so, uh, to me, it just felt natural. It just felt like, uh, what I should do for that phase of my life. So, well, I, I, I will agree to disagree with you, but, uh, I, I, and the reason here's my, here's my mentality on this is that only 3% of the population, you know, joins the military. Now, if you take, uh, if you really look at real numbers and our population today, that, that, that's probably less than 3%. It's probably closer to like a percent and a half maybe of the overall population that ever joins the military. Yeah. yeah, some people are in the military for different reasons. We know that. We've all seen them in all our branches, all the different branches. They just, you know, they they get they have an idea that they're going to get something out of it, and that's all they want to do. They don't really care. But a lot of us, like you, my family, uh, I can I can trace my military lineage uh, all the way back to World War One uh, in France, and you know, I've got great great uncles that did there. I probably took t- almost a dozen that that um, that were in World War Two. Uh, my uncle, my dad's youngest brother was in Vietnam. Um, uh, he is, uh, he and I have had conversations never about what went on over there. In fact, he told me, I will never, ever, uh, talk to you about what went on over there. And I get that, you know, I, I completely, completely understand it. Um, and cousins, everybody, you know, I served in from, I went in in 90 and I got out in 95. Uh, and then of course I've got cousins that went in after me. And, um, you know, something that, that I've always, and I don't have a problem telling anybody this, you know, I, I suffer from food addiction and I, and I, when 9-11 hit, uh, I was sitting there watching on TV, I, I wept and, 
And it wasn't because of what I was seeing. It was because I was almost 400 pounds and there was no way I was going back in. And uh, it ate at me for a long time. And, um, but later, you know, God, God took those things away from me. And, uh, and he showed me that there is something that I can still do for my brothers and sisters. There's still a way that I can serve, uh, you know, but I, I do believe that, that, um, I, I got my rear end chewed one time by an army officer because I told him that, yeah, I serve, but I didn't serve like, like some of these other guys did, you know, some of these guys, they had to go face the enemy. They had to go do things that are unthinkable, unspeakable. And, uh, he says, that's ridiculous. He goes, cause we all signed up for the same thing. None of us signed up to get killed. None of us signed up, you know, uh, for stuff like that. And so I, you know, I understand all that and I've gotten better at it as time has gone on, but, uh, you know, I'm working on it. And one of these days I'm going to get that thing under control. Uh, and I'll be pretty proud of that, you know, but yeah, I, you know, and I, I, I've had this discussion from time to time with some folks and I get, I get criticized. Um, like, yeah, everybody who does your job says the same thing. It's like they teach you guys to say it or whatever. But, um, I, I think the, I think those of us that excelled or were, were proficient or highly proficient and, in that skill set specifically, um, you know, for us, it, it, it was just a job. Um, you know, now I'm a, now I'm a healthcare administrator. I write a desk, uh, I manage a, a large book of business and I try, I put the same amount of energy into that, that I put into being a combat medic. Um, you know, it's just, uh, that's what, that's what my skill set was. Uh, and that's, uh, for me, uh, to not be the best at it, uh, to not try to be the best at it, not try to continue with education and special training and different programs that I got to go to was, uh, you know, I felt like I was cheating the warfighter if I didn't give them the best that I could be, you know, and I joined, when I joined, it was, it would be all you can be, right? So that's a, that was the slogan that I joined under. So I kind of tried to live that mantra. Um, uh, so Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the stuff that we both do in the veteran space outside of the military, right? Um, I think for for those that continue to to try to serve outside of the military, um, you know, for me, all of my passion projects, uh, Remedy Alpine and Bullets to Beans, yeah, I was medically retired uh, for injuries uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and you know, so I wasn't ready to hang up my my weapon yet i wasn't ready to 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 put my boots on the shelf and so my opportunity to take care of the warfighter got taken away from me and that for the first probably three years of my retirement uh, that's what ate away at me Uh, that's what i was drinking away in a glass uh way more frequently than i should have been uh i felt cheated i felt robbed i felt like i should have been doing more um and then I had to have a kind of a heart to heart, uh, with myself, uh, and figure out that, you know, there's opportunities for me to still be able to serve. Uh, and it's just going to have to be in a different capacity. And that's, uh, about the time when Remedy Alpine got founded, uh, and then yeah. to grow and flourish. And then the Bullets to Beans project, uh, became an independent project. Um, it's just understanding that, you know, when I was in my twenties and thirties, that was my role. That's how I took care of the warfighter. Now that I'm not in my twenties or thirties, uh, <laughs> how I take care of the warfighter. This is how I continue to serve the veteran space. So. 
absolutely. I have a question here for you from uh, Joe Palacios. He's a Marine. He's out of Houston. And he says, Doc, what do you, I don't know if you can see these or not, but I can't. I can, okay. Uh, it says, Doc, what do you think about the injuries to our soul? The only word I could think of taking life is not a natural act, whether justified or not. Um, if I understand the question correctly, the audio was a little soft. Basically, how do we justify killing? Yeah, it, he says, he says, uh, can you hear me now? Is that better? It's a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, what do you think about the injuries to our soul? Uh, the only word I can think of taking life is not natural. Right. So my, my last or not my last episode, episode 28, uh, when I was talking with uh, father Rendall, he talks about moral injury. Um, and that is something specific to when you're, when you take another human life, um, or some of the actions that we had to do, um, a, a lot of moral injury, uh, symptomology, uh, in, in impact or the effects of it, uh, mimic post-traumatic stress. And it could be a post-traumatic stress, but a post-traumatic stress incident, but it can also be a moral injury incident. Um, and that's, that's one that, you know, I have, um, I've had engaged in that, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, and that I didn't have as much conflict internally. I, I mean, it resonated with me. Uh, I thought about it for a while. Um, at the end of the day, the way I, the way I accepted it, uh, is just, it, it was part of the job. Um, I feel I felt blessed that I had, um, back in 2000 and 2001, I was a, a senior medic at the trauma center at Bamsey. Um, I was in paramedic school. I was doing a lot of advanced training and I started having some internal conflict about reversing God's work. Uh, and I had a great chaplain, uh, on the trauma team with us, uh, chaplain Clark, uh, and so I approached him one day and asked him, uh, I was like, look, you know, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm working with some of the best trauma teams in the world. Uh, the physicians and nurses at, at Bamsey are uh, among the best. Uh, and, you know, I'm concerned that we're reversing God's will. And what he explained to me was, um, you can never reverse God's will, but God puts people in certain positions and places in their life to reverse the devil's work. Um, and so at that point, I kind of became on fire as a medic. And I, that's when I really started going after every advanced school that I could go to um, and wanted to truly be the best that I could because I basically felt like I was, and he told me, he's like, I think that you're doing the work God wants you to do. And I felt like I was a warrior for God. And I asked him about that point. Um, uh, later on after 9-11 had happened, um, you know, approached him, hey, you know, I know I'm going to end up in the sandbox sooner or later. Um, as, you know, the best medicine on the battlefield is fire superiority. If there's no, if nobody's down and wounded, Doc needs to be on the line shooting. Um, and so uh, knowing what was inevitable, um, I approached Chaplain Clark again uh, and said, hey, you, you know, let's talk about this again. And you know, is that still God's will? Um, 
and I can't, I, I can't even paraphrase appropriately, but essentially he put me at comfort and put me at ease. And it basically said that, um, you know, yes, that this is still, uh, this would still be God's will. Um, uh, we're fighting evil. We're fighting tyranny. Um, and because of that conversation, I had accepted that if, if I should ever have to, uh, engage the enemy and take their life and ultimately did, uh, in Afghanistan, um, that, that it was justified, uh, that I was, that, that I was going to be okay with it. The things that the moral injuries that I had weren't the people that, uh, uh, the people's whose lives that I ended intentionally is the people who I couldn't save. Um, my friends that, uh, that I, I delivered the best medicine to, uh, that I worked as hard as I could on, that I used every ounce of every skill set that I had and they still passed. The ones that I couldn't save haunt me more than the ones that I killed. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, if you look at the way rules of engagement are, they shot at us first. Uh, it's kind of a matter of who wanted to go home more. I wanted to go home more, so I shot quicker, more accurate, and uh, I, I, I eliminated the threat because I just wanted to go home. Uh, there's no politics about it. It's about the men to your left and right. Uh, right. And it's about taking care of the mission and completing your objective so you can get back home. Um, I, hope, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I kind of preemptively dealt with that uh when i could see the writing on the wall and for me um i turned to god uh for the the answers to you know we're about to go to war uh if i have to if i have to engage the enemy uh is this something god's going to be okay with when i have to face him uh, uh and i i look forward to when i have to to face him for everything that i've ever done down here because i have no problem with it yeah and, and i don't think god does either god you know um there's you can read all the stories in the Bible about where God had Joshua go in and wipe out everything living. Uh, and and when when he when he lost that, whatever it was to do that, and he let some of these peoples live, uh, those are some of the people that still today persecute Christians. Uh, and so there's a consequence. Right. And so the consequence of you not doing your job would have been you may have not come home to your family right. and who, how many people that you would not have saved that you did save. Um, and I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on this just a little bit. I don't want to get into it because I know that uh, when I listened to your podcast on Christmas Day, you got real emotional. Uh, but uh, Connie and I watched that movie, The Outpost. Mm -hmm. and, and I could not believe that in modern warfare, the U.S. Army would put a unit in a valley surrounded by mountains where the Taliban was. Now, is that accurate? Uh yeah, so here's here's the thing about the outpost, uh, the book and the movie. Um, the, so combat outpost Keating. Um, so ninety days out from when we were supposed to be boots on the ground, uh, the asymmetrical warfare group uh, came and briefed uh, senior leaders in our squadron, and that's when we started doing map analysis, map and terrain analysis, and uh, trying to figure out who is going where. Um, it, and when we looked at it, uh, at cop Keating on a map and we were just like, who in the world did this? Cause you, you were at the bottom of a bowl. You were surrounded almost completely. Um, where I spent the first three months of that deployment was, uh, outpost, uh, uh cop Libert, 
um, and they had high ground on two sides. Um, we had elevation on one side and it was kind of flat on the fourth side. Um, so it wasn't as bad as the guys at Keating. Um, the only time I went up to Keating uh, on that deployment was on that rescue mission when I rescued Captain Yeskas. Um, but I remember doing the 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 leader walkthrough when we were doing map and map and train analysis and looking at where all of our outposts were going to be. And nobody wanted to go there. Every everybody looked at that and said, "This is this is a tactical failure." Um, and if you read the book, the outpost, the the unit before us, Tenth uh, Mountain Division, you know, they exact same thing. Is like this is a tactical failure. Um, this is not something that they would teach at West Point. This is not something that they would teach uh, in Annapolis. This is not something that they would teach in Colorado Springs. No military academy would teach a tactical advantage of putting putting you in a bottom of a bowl. Um, so yeah, no, that that was very real. Uh, that that place uh, was a very very real place, um, and it was tactically disadvantaged. Um, the way it was portrayed to be um they I, I think the book was you know, and i don't normally give uh jake tapper or anybody from cnn a lot of credit uh but jake tapper did a, a very good job of writing that book um in in episode 29 i talk about why i understand they condensed the storyline but the storyline was false um so much as what happened on that rescue mission for me and that why try to kind of just level set the record um, you know, that was, that was one of the hardest rescue missions that I ever worked in for the big screen where people aren't going to take time to read the book. Uh, but they'll, they'll go watch the movie on Netflix, um, to see Rob, uh, portrayed as dying on the battlefield, um, and getting flown out on a Blackhawk. He didn't, he flew out in the back of a Chinook and I was working on him the whole way. Uh, and he lived long enough to get back to Walter Reed and say goodbye to his wife, Dina and their girls. Um, so yeah, it, um, yeah, I don't mind talking about it. Sometimes it hurts a little bit, but, um, the more you talk about it, the more you kind of get acceptance of it. So, yeah, I know that we, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that was written first. Cause if I would have known that was a book, I would have read the book I've read. Um, I don't know if, if you're familiar with, uh, it's called, um, Oh man, it's about the sinking of the Indianapolis. Uh, and that was the first book that I, cause I've seen there's, there's a movie uh, that is about the same thing. I think I have it. It's called. Uh, there, I saw there's a, I did see a movie about the Indianapolis and Nick Cage is one of the, the main. Yeah. It's called in harm's way. Yes. Uh, and I actually have a copy uh, of the book that a friend of mine, uh, when I used to work for, uh, for one of these aircraft companies, uh, he's an older gentleman and he knew the, one of the Marines who survived and he was going to be in San Antonio. And so he took my, my, uh, book and he got the guy to sign it and the guy's in the book, you know, yeah. and I've got his signature on that, but that was the first time that I read a military book, um, before I saw the movie and and just realized oh my god you guys are missing you know this point or you're missing you know but yeah. it's hot right and so they're they're trying to get a, a great story an important story 
and they're trying to get it out in a manner that, you know, that people, one can, is palatable for most people because, you know, a lot of that stuff is not, you know, people don't want to know that these guys were in the water and they started drinking salt water and, and they died from it. You know, they don't want to know that. They don't want to know the sharks were tearing them apart. And, and, uh, but even though they did portray that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. You know, and, and to that point, and I appreciate the perspective there, because to that point, it's not that the work that I did didn't that on that day, uh, October 28th and 08, it, it's not to diminish that and it's not to diminish Rob's role. But the the crux of the story and the crux of the movie that they were trying to tell the story of was when the when the guys from fourth ID essentially got ran off the mountain, uh, the Battle of Camdish. Um, and although there were plenty of skirmishes up there and, and firefights during my unit's tenure when my squadron was there from 08 to 09, the, the crux of the story was, you know, the, 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 the story about Captain Yeska's and my rescue in the book, it, it's all about the lead up to how bad the situation was at, at Outpost Keating. And the true story was, you know, they, I think they lost nine men. Uh, they literally were fighting for their lives. Um, and the, the whole uh, Nangahar, Kunar province area in northeastern Afghanistan is just a, it's a horrible crap. It's just, yeah, not a good place. Um, it, so I understand why they did it. Uh, but, it, you know, again, as I said in my episode 29, it was it was just something that was weighing on me that, as I know, people are seeing the movie and the, the, the movie's getting a lot of reviews. Uh, I just felt it was important to tell the truth uh, from my perspective. Uh, uh, you know, Rob was a good friend of mine. Uh, not only was a, he our, our Blackfoot Troop commander, uh, we were both in 1st Armored Division and a different division at the same time. Um, we knew a lot of the same people, uh, even though we didn't actually serve together under 1AD. Um, we had a lot of friends in common. And so during live fire exercises and field training problems, um, you know, he would, you know, it was a medic platoon sergeant. I had my own vehicle and he would camp out with me and you know, we spent a lot of time in the field, uh, uh just kind of decompressing together. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate you asking about him. Uh, you'll never get forgotten. Yeah, no, that's, I know that's one thing that my dad and my uncle both taught me about, you know, the little bit that I do know. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad suffered for years. We're going to talk a little bit about suffering just because uh, my dad suffered for years. We didn't really know uh, why. And and my wife is really like, I won't ask a guy who I know has been to combat. Like we met a guy one time, he missing a leg. And I just, hey, the guy was in combat. He lost his leg. He's here. He's good. He's running and whatever. You know, we were at a we were at a 5K back back when my when I wasn't so fat and I used to run. And um, he, uh, you know, I just walked up, and started talking to him. And my wife, she's like really bold with stuff like that. Like she's got no filter. And so she walked up and she said, Hey man, what happened to your leg? And I would never do that. Right. Just because I just won't, I'm uncomfortable with that. And he was happy to tell her, he told yeah. her exactly what happened. They had an IED and, and in the Humvee and you know, it, it shredded his leg and, and he's alive and he's happy to be alive and he rides a motorcycle and he does all kinds of neat stuff. And so, uh, you know, she's not one, but my dad suffered for years. And so one Christmas and dad loved tequila and he didn't like the good stuff. He liked like cheap, uh, Cuervo 1800 gold. That was his drink of choice. Yeah. And my sister 
traveled the world and she'd get him all this high dollar stuff from all over the place. And he would try it, but he was like, nah, I want some Cuervo gold. And so one, one Christmas we were having a drink with dad and Connie just flat out asked him, you know, well, dad, what, what happened over there? You know? And so dad was in Turkey in the fifties and he had to shoot a guy that was on their base. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was coming back from wherever he was at and they have a protocol and the guy didn't follow the protocol. And, and uh, his person that was in charge of him said, you need to fire a shot. And uh, if he doesn't stop when he crosses this particular point, then, then you need to ne- neutralize. It may not be him. It may be somebody else. Right. So, uh, and they, we didn't have technology in the fifties. Right. So uh, dad did what he, he was told to do. And then, and then he re redirected his fire and he, and he stopped the threat and the guy went off into the bar ditch and, and they whisked dad off into a room and debriefed him. And, and for years it plagued him. And he actually told us that night, you know, what bothered him. And so there's a lot of things that people don't talk about. My dad was uh, in his late seventies before he ever said anything about that. I grew up knowing all kinds of stories about my dad. I didn't know that story. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't until he was really, really, I mean, that was probably, probably about a year before he died. And so, uh, but I, I want to know what, what, what you would say to not just people like that, but anybody today who's got something and they feel, you know, first I have to say, first, I'm always going to say, if you're listening to this, you're a veteran. If you listen to the replay uh, and I know doc will, you know, doc's got the thing up here on, on top of his screen. Uh, there's a phone number there and doc is trained in, in, in this kind of thing. Um, uh, but if, if you, you're never alone, you know, Joshua 1 and 9 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither thou be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goes. And 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 our God is a sovereign God, and that means that even if your family and your friends turn their back on you, if they're not answering their phone, whatever, God is never going to abandon you. So with that said, uh, I, I want you to plug, you know, not just, but just talk about that for a second you know, as far as what people can do to reach out. So now that's a, that's a great question and something that, um, a lot of people, uh, they're, they're nervous. They want to do the right thing. Um, but they, they're afraid to ask a question. You mentioned that some training, um, that I have, I, I, um, I'm an assist intervention and applied to a site interventional skills, person. I'm, I'm assist trained. Uh, so I'm basically suicide first aid trained. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in, uh, the first couple of, uh, blocks of instruction and assist training, um, is you're never going to plant the seed of suicide in somebody if you ask them, right? So if, if you're worried about somebody and you go up and say, Hey, are you thinking about suicide? Um, they, they've either thought about it or they haven't, and you're not going to put the, the seed in their mind to make them commit suicide. Their, their mind's either already there or it's not. Um, and in my episode one of Bullets to Beans, I talk about my own suicide story uh, where I almost, uh, I mean, I was planning my own suicide for a while. Um, I'd accepted it. Um, and in that, in that show too, uh, I think it's important to understand why veterans are, are killing themselves one and a half times greater than civilians. Um, and there's, uh, this is something that I came up with just in my thought and my, my twisted brain. Uh, why would we as a veteran community kill ourselves, uh, 
one and a half time greater rate of suicide than civilians. And what I've resonated or what I've centered on rather, uh, there's three factors that I think uh, that make the veteran community more prone to suicide. Uh, first of all, uh, we are, um, we're trained from day one to accept our own death. We're trained to know that we're replaceable. They, in any basic training, whether it's boot, whether it's basic, whether, I don't know what the Air Force calls it, uh, resort time 101, whatever they do. Um, from day one in the military, you're trained to th that you're a piece of equipment and you're, that you're replaceable um, and you're trained to accept your own death. Um, so factor number two is you're trained to very efficiently and effectively deliver death. You know, even uh, the even if you're not a count, combat arms person, you're trained, you know, this is what should scare the shit out of every civilian is, you know, if you've, if you've qualified in a weapon in any branch of service, you can hit a target at 300 yards, you know? <laughs> um, so you're, you're, uh, you're trained to, uh, to deliver death. Uh, and then finally, the third factor is, um, uh, Within the culture in different subcultures in the military, there's times where suicide is actually acceptable. Um, they talk about it. I was in the cavalry. Um, I've got my my combat spurs. Uh, you know, they talk about uh, in in Fiddler's Green. Um, there's there's a line in Fiddler's Green, basically acknowledging suicide. Um, and then if you think about uh, guys that have been uh, in direct action in combat, um, we talk about saving around for ourselves because uh, I'm not going to have my wife see my head get cut off on Al Jazeera or on a replay on YouTube or anything. Um, so when you've been taught that you're replaceable, when you've been trained to deliver death, and then when you've been conditioned to accept your own death, um, it's not very difficult to understand why the veteran community commits suicide one and a half times more than civilians. So knowing that death is already in our head, don't be afraid to talk about it. You know, if you're that concerned about a fellow brother or sister, um, that they're not doing good, that, that, that their head's not in the right space, asking them if they're thinking about suicide is not going to make them commit suicide. Asking them and, and having the foresight to actively ask them, "Hey, I'm worried about you. Are you are you actually thinking about killing yourself?" That might get the that might be the red flag that they're looking to hear. That, okay, somebody knows how bad it is for me, right? Um, and that was the thing when I was planning my own suicide. Uh, yeah, I was a senior non commissioned officer. Uh, I was over an entire department in the hospital. I was going to PTSD counseling twice a week. I was seeing a, a psychologist and a social worker. Nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever at once asked me, hey, are you thinking about smoking yourself? You know? Um, and luckily, I came to terms and came to grips on things myself because, uh, and I talk about it in my episode, that I talk about my, my suicide story is when I was planning it, uh, the thought that resonated with me was, um, you know, I was going to, I was going to use my handgun cause I wanted it to be quick. And then I started like, wait a minute, I don't want to suffer. If I don't want to suffer, then I still want to live. Right. Because in my head at that point in time, you know, if I was willing to accept my own death, 
but I wasn't willing to suffer. I couldn't put the two of those together and have it make sense, which is what made me start thinking, okay, wait a minute, you don't want to die. Um, there's got to be another way out and there's got to be other alternatives. Um, and so that was kind of my saving grace was when I realized that I didn't want to suffer. Um, but had anybody frankly, you know, looked at me and been like, Hey, look, we're seeing some patterns, some changes in your behavior, you know, uh, are you thinking of killing yourself? And then just ask that question straight out. It might've, yeah, I probably would have lied to him. I'd probably been like, ah, nah. Um, but it might've, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if how I would have responded to that because, you know, nobody would have thought that, you know, a senior NCO, and, and I don't know why people would think this, but because senior non-commissioned officers do it all the time. Uh, but no one, no one thought that it was actually uh, a possibility. Um, and the only way that you're going to know if it is a possibility um, is to ask that question. And that's the best thing you can do is ask that very direct question. Um, and when you're talking about suicide intervention, you're trying to find a safe haven for the next 24 hours until they can get definitive care. Um, I've, I've, I've done multiple suicide interventions uh, over the last 25, 30 years. Um, I've had to go in and take guns out of people's houses to make sure that I, I neutralize the threat in that way um, and then return the firearm to their family um, to the point where I've been on the phone with someone for six hours just talking so they wouldn't hang up. Um, you know, and it's, it's about caring enough to sacrifice yourself, yourself being your time or whatever's important to you um, to make sure that, that, that they don't become a statistic. Um the, there's assist training all over. Um, there's a, there's other um, conflict mediation intervention training that you can take. Um, I would if if anybody is interested, um, I would encourage you to to seek that. I know Team Rubicon, Team Red, White, and Blue, um, national veteran uh, programs. Team Rubicon paid for my assist training. Um, uh, another great veteran organization um there's opportunities to get the training and the the understanding of um of what suicide actually looks like a lot of people think it looks like one thing and that it's totally mis misconstrued misread um but yeah the the biggest thing i could say is don't be afraid to ask that question uh it but then you have to be prepared for the answer Right. If you're looking, if you're looking a friend stone cold in the face and say, "Are you thinking about killing yourself?" and they go, "Yes, I am," you you've got to be prepared to deal with that too, right? And if you get yeah. yourself in, uh, uh, into a boiling pot really quick, um, you know that's why I rambled on for a few minutes talking about it, and then I said, "Go find a way to get trained," because um, there's there's steps that you can take to de-escalate and the that to make sure that you get them to the appropriate resource. And again, you're trying to, you're trying to buy 24 hours to get them to definitive care. Um, coming up with a 24 hour plan. Uh, but yeah, uh, if that's something that because of the work, your volunteer work, your full-time work, something that you, uh, that you think might come across your path, seek out the training and there's ways that you can get the training for free. So uh, to me, that was just another skill to add to my toolbox as a medic to to help again try to take care of the warfighter. Now that I'm out of the military, um, 
So, yeah. That's something that uh, anybody can do. I mean, any one of us veterans can can do, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, if you would, uh, when we're done, uh, shoot me some of those links because I'll share them on my on my page, and I'm sure. uh, that that's really I think so important because a lot of us don't know how, uh, you know, to approach that, and I, that's great information. That's great intel, um, you know, for for backing up our. So we're just a little bit over an hour here, and uh, first I I want to thank you for coming on. I like I said, since the first time I listened to your first podcast, man, I said, I need to know this guy. And, uh, and there's a reason why, and I think you're doing incredible work in your, in your uh, space. And, and, uh, I know that, uh, we have both talked about, uh, taking our, um, podcasts into the, uh, into the hall of fame this year. That's our game plan for both of us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we both, uh, hopefully we can get, uh, you know, get some ground and, and it's all about helping others. It has nothing to do with, uh, I don't need anything. Uh, God has blessed us with everything that I need. And, uh, I just, you know, I've, I've learned to grow in my walk with Christ that nothing I have is mine. Everything that I have is God's. Every dime that I own, that I am, that I am in care of, because I don't own anything. It's all His. My land, my property, my vehicles, my animals, my money in the bank—all that stuff is God's. And uh, if we're not trying to give it to somebody else, um, then you know, uh, maybe we should rethink about what we're doing. And I know that you're doing great work in your space, and and I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to learn. Uh, and, and get better at the skills uh, that I need to to continue to help our veteran community. Um, you know, uh, it you know as well as I do, there's nothing like uh, brothers and sisters that you serve with, and you would do anything for them. And even people that you don't know, you know, you yep. would you would reach over ba- backwards to help. And uh, so, uh, folks, again, if you're if you're out there and you're listening to this, uh, please understand that there's always someone willing to listen. There is always somebody willing to help and there's always a God that will not turn his back on you. And so, so reach out somewhere, reach out to somebody, reach out to doc, reach out to myself. Uh, We can always put you in touch with somebody. We can talk to you. Um, You know, there's nothing that is so important that we can't take time out uh, to help somebody. And so, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what your podcast is going to do this year, Doc. I'm looking forward to the next one. I really, really enjoyed uh, episode 28, and and I and I listened to 29 with a. I really felt for you. Um, that was a really beautiful piece that you did, uh, setting the record straight. And and uh, you know, it's like I've, I've learned that from my other buddies who are combat veterans that you know you you, you can't ever forget them because, yeah. um, you know, the more we talk about them, the more we um, you know, talk about their life and how they lived. Uh, they won't ever die. Yeah. So some of the things we've got coming up, I know we're over, but real quick, you, you, you drop some book titles at the beginning of the show and we'll kind of come full circle. Uh, what I'm into reading right now is leaders eat last by Simon Sinek. Um, and, uh, we're going to, I'm going to do a series, um, I haven't decided if it's going to be a complete run out series or if I'm going to intermittently do it and plug it in. Uh, but we're going to do a series on uh, military leadership and how that converts over to uh, not just civilian business leadership 
uh, but also community leadership. That's something I've hit on a couple of times in a couple of shows is, you know, take what we've learned from the military and apply it to our lives uh, and be good community leaders and be good business leaders to represent the veteran space well. So that's some of the stuff that we've got coming up in 2021 on Bullets to Beans. Man, that's awesome. That's a perfect angle to hit. I know that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all over that too. And uh, I don't know where we're going. Uh, I love doing these unscripted because I just feel like it's really so much more personal and uh, you never know where it's going to lead. And, it, you know, whatever I had in mind uh, might be useless uh, when we started to get into a conversation and my interviewee might might have something great to, ch- you know, chase down or or vice versa. You know, I may throw something out there and we can chase it together or whatever. But uh, I really appreciate we've had a, quite a few people watching and I know people will watch the replay and I really encourage you to get involved. This podcast is not just for military, it's for civilians. And the same follows suit for civilians. If you if you are struggling with, with your walk, with your daily walk, if you think you can't get through another day, reach out because you're never alone. And um, you know, we're we're taught in the military that that yes, we take care of the guy to my right and to my left, but we're taking care of all of our people. That's why most of us joined. We wanted to preserve the beautiful country that we live in. And, and that means the people that live in it. And so uh, I'm not one to exclude civilians. I I've never done that. Uh, uh, and I never will. And I know I, I, you'd be probably hard pressed to find a military man that would turn his back on a civilian. It's just not going to happen. Yep. Uh, and so uh, these resources are there, but obviously there's a greater need right now in our veteran space and, uh, and we have to get those numbers down. We absolutely, uh, I mean, we need to eliminate as much as we can, uh, both civilian and military, but, you know, military right now, I believe has a higher need. Uh, you know, we're in the longest war that we've been in in the history of the United States. And, uh, and so we have people that are struggling more than ever before. And we need to address that. And so uh, please reach out to us. Please catch Doc's uh, Bullets to Beans. Uh, he puts out an episode just about every week, just like I do. Um, and uh, it's a great podcast. I love listening to it. Uh, and I'm going to send you some more coffee soon. Uh, so, you can, so you can check that out. It's good stuff. Uh, we'll Carmel and Scotch one. Uh, one of my calf buddies, we're, uh, we're trying to design a show where we review that one. I saved that one for uh, as a special coffee that you sent. So I'm saving that for a special guest. So that review yeah. will be coming soon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you're a veteran and you have any aspirations of being an entrepreneur, I encourage you to join the Vetpreneur Tribe. They're on Facebook. Uh, that's where Doc and I kind of ran into each other. Uh, there's other groups called uh, Justin Charpentier, my uh, marketing mentor. Uh, he's got a group called Zone of Action. That's an incredible group. Uh, and it's just a bunch of people uh, who maybe don't have mission anymore, can find mission again, uh, helping each other out. And I, I can tell you that that those groups have been extremely beneficial in me learning more about business, more about what makes people tick, you know, how to market things. Uh, it, it's it's taken my business from a hobby to a real business. And so um, I strongly recommend uh, some of these groups. They're incredible. Uh, even if you just get in there and find out you know, all the great products that all these veteran companies uh, have, uh, you know, to support. Uh, so those are great things. Again, Doc, I, I'm looking forward, man, to finding some time when all this 
restrictions and things ease up and uh, things aren't so dangerous and I can fly up to uh, take Connie up to Alaska and uh, we can go up there and do some trekking up in the mountains with you. Yeah. Uh, that'd, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Got some so, projects I'm working on with another veteran um, that might actually bring me down to Dallas um, coming up in 2021. So uh, I'll keep you, I'll keep you up to date on that. Yep. You need to come out to the house and shoot a pig or something. I don't know. We, we're almost <laughs> overrun by pigs. So <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm about four hours, four and a half hours from Dallas. So you, yep. yeah, you come down that way. You need to holler. Right. Um, I'm going to put you in the green room for a second. I'm going to close the show and then I'll come back to you in a second. Okay. okay. Thanks. Just sit, sit tight. Folks. Thanks. I know we, we went over about 15 minutes here. Um, I can't thank you enough for watching. I've had a lot. It looks like a lot of people have been watching this the whole time. Uh, Doc Jocelyn has a wealth of information. He's been helping the veteran space for a long time. Um, and uh, Joe Palacios, thanks for sticking around the whole time and asking, you know, very value added questions. Uh, everybody else who's watched, I appreciate your time. Um, again, Third Day Coffee Seguin. Please uh, check us out. You know, you can scan the code up here in the top corner and and um, and get it to our website. Uh, we're just trying to do God's work. That's our main goal. So like I always end everything that I do, treat one another the way God intended us to treat one another with love and respect and know that there is a way. Jesus is the way. And uh, love you guys. Until next week. God bless.